Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. It's good to see everybody. It is Father's Day, and um, the message that I was doing had nothing, literally nothing to do with it. And um, I had two, I had two that I was going over, and one that I felt was the, was the hitter, the hitting spot today. And went over them with Nicole a little bit last night. She's like, yeah, that's a hitter. Um, that's, that's, that's it. But, um, but uh, fortunately and unfortunately, aside from those two me- messages, I, I felt like I had another one this morning. And you know, if you come here, you, I don't think a lot of people realize how these messages actually come. And I don't always tell how they come and how they get planned, but I probably will today. It might be a little strange to some of you or whatever, maybe not. But this morning, before I woke up, I had a dream that really rattled me, man. It really rattled me. And um, don't worry, it's not about the end times. Uh, you know, some, <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of this, this ain't that place. But um, it really rattled me. And so I knew this morning, and I have like, a, I have like I'm a very much a routine person so I like you know I do certain things I run a certain amount in the mornings on on uh Sundays you know and all these things and so I'm like I'm I'm chewing over these like I'm I'm sticking to my message I'm sticking to my message and I have this dream I'm like I I have to go in this direction so it's going to be a little bit flying by the seat of the pants and not necessarily very you know notes and all these things but I think I, I I hope that I'll be able to articulate what I feel like was given to me. And in this dream that I had last night, just very honestly, I was, I was in a car with my dad. My dad was driving and my children, if you, you probably saw them in there with their stuffed animals on top of my head during worship half the time, um, were, were running around and running to get into the car with me. And my, dr- my dad was driving very aggressively in the parking lot, like yanking it back, yanking the car forward. And I was really afraid that he was going to hurt them, which my dad's name is Hal Turner. He's, he lives at the beach in Florida. He's very mellow, and this is not indicative of him at all, at all. You know, he's not like this at all. Um, but in the dream, I am pleading with him to please stop, to please calm the car down. He's like, I know what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm in the passenger seat actually weeping. Please, you're going to hurt them. You're going you're to hurt them. You're going to wreck into them. And then in the dream, I actually wake up and my dad and I are discussing the dream. Like that was weird and that was crazy. So it was a dream within a dream. But as I came out of it this morning, I didn't even really remember. I I, I slept very, very rough last night and I woke up and I was getting ready and getting all my stuff to go out and run and everything this morning. Turn the AC down in this building too, about 6.30 or so. And and I'm remembering this dream because it just, it really unnerved me. But it was the son, this son pleading with his father not to hurt his kids. Please don't hurt the children. Please don't hurt the children. And um, my dad is nothing like this, you know? So it's not, it's not like, well, is this some wounds from how you grew up, son? Like, no, not at all. But it is, it is a doctrine of demons that covers the entire world with this bipolar imagery of who God is, this penal substitutionary atonement 
you know, theology that's, that is the wrath of God being held back from mankind by his son. And um, in order for him to forgive sins, he had to, he had to take his fury out somewhere. So he poured it onto Jesus, you know, in order to forgive, which, you know, um, isn't really forgiveness. It's actually a payment. And so that's kind of a strange way to think. And there's so many holes in it, and we'll shoot a few more in it today probably. But it's this mentality that people carry that, that there is some, some another God behind the back of Jesus who is not the same. And Jesus is protecting us from him. And I've seen this. I've seen this belief system, this, this theology, do more damage in the world than probably any, than any other thing in the world. Because how can you trust a God who, well, God is love and He loves you, but He sure was ready to fire off on you. And He still will throw you in a ball of fire if you don't join His club. And so, so many people in the back of their mind don't have this resolved. They don't understand what's going on here in this, in this real covenant, this transaction, this thing that Jesus has come and manifest. And so I feel like that's the direction for today's message. And if you've ever been here for any length of time, you understand certain things or have read the Bible of Jesus's mission to come and reverse that mentality. He comes and he talks like a broken record about the kingdom of heaven. It's like this, it's like this, it's like these ten virgins, it's about this field, it's about this pearl, great price, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a man sowing seeds, and you know, it's just like he's constantly giving analogies and understandings of this place that he's representing, that he wants us to, that he wants us to understand, to step back into the family business. But there's one thing he talks about more than that, as the, as the embodiment of Yahweh, the fullness of deity embodied on the earth. The Word who became flesh, Jesus, Colossians 2, 6, John 1. And that is a Father who is good and who is love. And um, I was like, man, I'm trying not to go the Father's Day route, but it's like I can't get away from it this morning because I know it's God's heart. And I know that if my kids thought of me this way, I would want them to know the truth more than anything. And so we understand Genesis you know, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, you know, and we understand that he said, let there be light. And we understand that he divided the light from the darkness. And we understand the book of John is Genesis rewritten, a higher version. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In other words, Jesus is actually God, not little G, baby G. He's actually God, the embodiment of, of Yahweh the fullness of deity embodied. All things were created by him and for him and in him and through him. He is the creator of Genesis 1. And this light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. It did not overcome it, some of your Bibles will say, but it did not comprehend it, the majority will say. And both is very true because he came and he did the same exact thing as Genesis and he divided the light from the darkness. And in this one, this one who's the word of God or the expression of God, the communication of God, who also is God that is embodied, there's a separation of light and darkness. And it's not all of the rascal sinners of the world. It is the separation 
of the lie that came out of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree, that bipolar view of this darkness of God, and he separates once and for all, God is light, God is love. You know? And this is our power. This is our message. You know, it, is, it is not sinners in the hand of an angry God. You know? It is 2 Corinthians 5.19, like God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is, this is not, Father, don't unleash it on them. Father, forgive them. It was the cross manifested the forgiveness of God. Like, like Jesus said, the ruler of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. He's going to push every button. He's going to hit, that's John 14. He's going to smash me with every bit of darkness. He's going to try to provoke me, but I will never strike you guys back. He's going to puppet mankind since he's poisoned them to attack me. But all I will say is forgive them. They do not know because that is the heart of God. He manifested who our true father is. And not only this, he did it his whole life. He did it his, his whole life, you know. And he's warned and he's literally said, you know what I'm saying? There's so much about doctrines of demons and things that bear bad fruit and, 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 what is it? Jesus said in Matthew 7 like about false prophets. The false prophets and false teachers that are, that are all through the Bible warned about. And Jesus says they're like sheep, but they look like it, but on the inward, inside they are ravenous wolves. You know what I mean? They're coming to devour. They are not. It's, it, it is not the truth. And what did he say? You'll know them by their fruit. The fruit that is of life, which is the tree of life, Verse the, the fruit, which is the knowledge of good and evil, which is judgment, condemnation, separation mentality. And then we have the fear of the Lord, which is God consciousness. In other words, consciousness or acknowledgement of who God is and that he's never away from you. You know what I mean? This prophecy, this Joshua in the book of Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. This, this prophecy of the new covenant, keep my law in your heart and your mind and you'll have great success all the time for your entire life. You know? And this reality that we're called to walk in through the indestructible life of being crucified with Christ. You know, that Galatian, or, yeah, Galatians 2.20, like, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but I'm, the life I now live, I, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Amen. Not faith in the Son of God. The faith of is what that really says, the faith of the Son of God. He is so, he's been so completely faithful to his covenant, he's given life. And now I live this resurrected, powerful life of walking through. And you, I mean, you guys have heard, there's... You know, there's messages on the podcast like the man who could not die. That's a that's a that's a hitter. I don't know how long ago that was, but it was about the, the historical, you know, the Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and some of the some of the things written in John 20 and John 21. You know what I mean? About how John possibly would never die and how he's boiled in oil and all those things, you know, all that fun stuff. But, he, you know, it didn't hurt him. And and he was mailed off to the Isle of Patmos, this person who lived indestructible because he was the one disciple that stayed through the cross but there's there's a crucified life that we're called to live that is so victorious that we're that we're living this the life of Jesus is in us and through us and in him we're coming alive it says that in John 1 his life is the light of men 
And that's, that could be controversial, but it's just like, if you're alive, it's in you. I mean, we sing it in our cheesy Christian songs. I shouldn't have said cheesy, but you know, it's your breath in our lungs. You know what I mean? It's just like his life has been breathed into us as creation. We've always had him breathed into us to just to actually exist because he actually is life. You know, Um, you know, you see how these things just rattle through my mind, you know, but the whole thing is so congruent, this Bible. (laughs) You know what I mean? The tree of life himself. And, and, um, but it is our calling to live the identity of the sons and daughters who manifest him. The Second Corinthians 3.18. Those who see him without a veil over their face, they begin to reflect him from the same image from glory to glory. We're the only religion where it's not about what you know or how many years you've been focused in. You know, We're the only religion where we're transformed by what or whom it is we behold. When we see him, it changes us. The more we see him, the more we come alive. The more we manifest them. This is the, this is the point of reading the Bible. Amen. It's not earning, I've read enough today, so now I feel good about praying my list. You know what I mean? It's just like we're watching Him. We're knowing Him. We're, it's alive. And we're seeing Him as He is. And the more we do that, the more we are transformed into that thing. Amen. It's not about memorizing verses. Yeah. I know I rattle off a lot of them. But, you, you know, it's just I, my, my brain works that way. But it's, it's not to impress. It's like it's not about knowing verses. It's about knowing the Lord the Word Himself, who is actually alive. You know what I mean? And then we manifest something, not on a debate stage, we manifest something which is the fruit of life, which people are like, I want this. I recognize this. And this is the sword that literally cuts away the doctrine of those, of the wolf. I was, as a kid, I had and. I guess you could probably ask my parents. I'm sure they'll be here at some point. Um, they'll visit or whatever, you know. So you can say, "Is it true what he said?" You know, <laughs> if you need a reference. But but I had a, a a problem as a kid with nightmares or night terrors, and couldn't differentiate a lot of times what was real. Talking about them coming in my room to calm me down, and my eyes are open, scared of things in the room. And that sounds kind of like a horror movie, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like, what's he seeing? That would scare me if my kids did, you know. But, um, you know, and, and, they, and they were believers. But it's just like I had these things all the time. And, and one thing that I had as a kid, which I tell this all the time with people, the things that the enemy tries to sow into your life when you're a child are often in direct correlation with your calling and purpose in life. And it's also the things that are the desires of your hearts and the inspirations of your little child mind. Even though sometimes we attach it to things like being a hero or, or, you know, art or whatever it is, a lot of times the very DNA of God is in those things and it's finding its it's expression, you know, in kids. And that's why it's so important what we're doing with them here. But... Um, you know, but I had these dreams and stuff, and, and one thing was a, uh, I was afraid to death of wolves and werewolves. And um, it was just a thing. And my, I wasn't watching scary movies. Plus, I'm a kid of the 80s. We didn't have as much as these kids. Yeah, you know, we had Teen Wolf. Yeah, we did. <laughs> but I, <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Um, I'm surprised you know that, youngin'. Uh, but yeah, we did have that. But you know, I, I was really afraid of this thing, and it was it was a theme of mine, a torment of mine as a kid, until I got older. And um, when I got older, 
those dreams and a lot of the things that I had squelched down, lucid dreaming and these prophetic things that I had shut down just because of fear, started to happen so much more on a heightened rate um, in my upper teens to early 20s. After I'd left, the, I was living as a, as a, you know, really as a, as a sinner so that, you know, I was, I was fulfilling that role, you know, for quite, quite a while. Um, but as I started to become a Christian, I started to have dreams that, that connected me to my childhood terrors. And sometimes they were literally werewolves. Yes, we're talking about this on a Sunday. I told you, I'm just going off the cuff here, so this is a conversation. But, you know, I'd have these, these crazy werewolves and wolves and all these fears and stuff like that that I'd have as a kid. And, um, but the Lord would speak to me in it. And I remember one, I'd be, I'd be on, a, on a countryside of a city, and I would see these massive wolves, like werewolves, running over the city. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's like an army invading and a van would pull up, and this happened several times. And I had a little childhood friend named Matthew, and in the van, there would be a 22 rifle in the van. And I'm like, ah! I'd find Matthew's 22, and I would take it, and I would go into the city to, to rescue people from these werewolves. This is getting very odd very fast. I can kind of see that, but, but it's all right. And so I, I would have these experiences where I would be in a, in a tumultuous situation with wolves and stuff in dreams, and my old buddy, Matt, oh, Matthew's 20, Matthew left his 22 out for me. And so I'd find it, you know. And um, I never fully understood what it meant. I didn't, I didn't really catch it until I was a minister, a young minister. This is probably 12 years ago, the place that I was preaching at. And I had a little office there and everything like that. Um, and I was, I was literally concerning a lot of these things. I realized when I read Matthew 22... The chapter of 22 something that something came out at me so profoundly which I will even propose today is the antithesis not to killing werewolves you know when it when when it starts happening in the real world no you know like a, some weird movie no but but to the false doctrine that that false teaching that comes in like a wolf to devour people there's something of the love of God in Matthew 22 that completely disarms it and as I was reading Matthew 22, oh, I remember one day, I actually have it written in, in my Bible, and every time I get a new Bible, I write the date um, of, of, of when this happened, and I can read it. It's, it's in 2010, I think it was. Let's see. Well, I, I did used to have it written. Maybe it's a different Bible that I had it in there. but Oh, yeah, Fe February the 5th of 2010. And it was when... The Pharisees, first the Sadducees are, are chipping away at Jesus, trying to get him to trip up in his words and get in trouble. Then the Pharisees come, and some of the Pharisees were actually lawyers, but they were like Jewish lawyers, you know, of the Jewish law. And they would, they would test him to, get him to get him to say certain things. But one of them, this lawyer, comes and he says, what's the greatest commandment of the whole law? And Jesus said this. This is my Matthew 22, uh, um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, and it is the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets. And so this, this mentality, I remember reading this on February 5th of 2010 and walking from my, honestly, I was walking to the bathroom. I remember walking to the bathroom like, and just thinking of like, there's something profound about that. 
And I heard it in my mind over again as I was kind of repeating it. On these two hang all of the law and the prophets. And I saw it for the first time. Um, it was the cross. Jesus was literally prophesying this indestructible life of being crucified with him and what it was, this indestructible of authority, which was the love of God, which would be manifested. We know all the gifts of the Spirit work through love. We don't understand all, the, all of it's being conformed into his image, who is love. But I saw for the first time what are the greatest commandments, and I saw this beam that goes up and down. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and understanding. That's, a, that's like up and down. And then the second beam was this, the other beam of the cross with his arms out. And it's like, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I see these arrows and I see these things and, and I hear him say, on these hang all of the law and the prophets. And here he is, the, the, the son of God, the embodiment of God, God in the flesh, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the love of God being manifest, not a bipolar angry God, not, not this false teaching that bears all this terrible fruit, but, but God, the Father of all, you know, reconciling all men to himself, not imputing their, their trespasses against them, as it says, you know, accepting everyone, forgive them, they don't even know, they're ignorant, they've been poisoned, and it was this powerful love that even when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and stuff, they were coming out to get him, he was still steering him in the way of the truth. And I thought, man, there's nothing more powerful because we talk about, and I'm, 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 I'll self-admit that I'm not the sharpest you know, knife in, in the drawer. And so when we talk about spiritual things sometimes, you know, me growing up, I need it to be very practical. Some say, well, you just got to, like Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you got to take up your cross and follow me. It's like, huh? You know what I'm saying? You have to, you, you know, you have to die. You know, this, I've been crucified with Christ. The crucified, like all these, all these things, all these concepts. But when it's put into something very simple like this, what does it mean to live the crucified, the, the life of God that's not focused on self, that's eternally forgiving? always turning the other cheek, always seeing through love. And it's just like, hey, the cross, that, that life is to seek first the kingdom above all things. That is loving God with your heart and mind completely and totally at all times. And it is also loving our neighbor as ourself. And that is, that is the indestructible reality of New Covenant Christianity. And, and it's just like, that's what it means to carry the cross. That's what it means to live this life, to be crucified. Anything that disagrees with that reality, we're seeing the heart of God as, if we see him as he truly is, we recognize it and it transforms us. But if we have a misconception that he's a way that he's not, then, then we will, as imagers, manifest that misconception on the earth, which is why so many people are afraid of Christians and to be around them, because they I feel they're, going to be they're being judged. I know you're looking down at me. I know you think this of me. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the reality is, it's like, even if they're not saying it, it's because that's the disposition of their heart because that's what they believe about him. Yeah. You know? But this is what it looks like to, to walk in the Spirit. This is what it looks like to live on the other side of the cross the way John did, who couldn't be boiled in oil and killed. You know? I'm not saying we're called to be X-Men Jedis that don't get touched by death or sickness or anything like that. But, you know, 
you know, the Apostle Paul talks about communion and literally says, if you do this without reverence, because people do this without reverence, they don't acknowledge what communion actually is, recognizing who he is and what he's done. And because of this, many are weak, many are sick, and some people sleep. So the Bible does say, because we don't understand what's actually been done and who God is and what his heart really looks like, a lot of premature things happen that shouldn't happen. Amen. Yeah. And it's just the Bible, and, it's, and it can be offensive to some. But I challenge you just to look into it and read it. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of living that life, loving God with our whole heart and mind and soul, a lot of it loving our neighbor as ourself, never happens the way it should. Because how can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't have no love for yourself? And it's not a self-help guru. It's not about self. But it's like, but if we enter into the connection of the covenant and we realize the love of God, of who he is and how he loves us, there's not a deficiency hole there of self-hatred where we're judging ourselves constantly because we think that's how God looks at us. That's, that is the essence of a religious spirit. It is eat this fruit, Eve, and then you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And it's like, no, we've been created in the image of God. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And I trust him and not you because he loves me. He's there for me. It's like when we step into the reality of that relational connection of what he sees us as and how he loves us. Instead of this, this poor grid of like, well, I'm just a sinner that's saved by grace. We don't take that, that false lie of an identity, another thing that can be shot holes in, and we don't consume that life that we're a sinner. It's like, yeah, while we were sinners, he died for us. I certainly was living the life of a sinner, but no, that's not who we are. That is living a lie. We're the sons and daughters of God. And he loved us. You know what I mean? And it's like Jesus is coming and saying all the time, manifesting it and showing us he's not what you think he is. He's not what the world has thought. And he does the whole time by stealth, right? First Corinthians 2, because if the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. So he keeps himself as concealed as possible. Man, you, this Lazarus teaching I was going to do is going to be such a heater. But it talks about that, how he's keeping himself concealed. It's so cool, something I've never seen. Maybe next year we'll do it, maybe some other time. But, uh, you know, but it's like he keeps himself conce- you know, as concealed as possible if the rules of this world. And he goes all the way into the cross... Like it says in Hebrews 12, too, for the joy that was set before him. It's just like, we've got God as this angry one that's punishing and accepting, and we have this twisted view, and we wonder why it bleeds through our lives, and we never enter into the fruit of it, you know? Jesus didn't manifest that at all. Nothing. And if we see God as he truly is, we'll, we'll understand the way that he loves us, and then loving the neighbor itself comes straight natural. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, you just got to love yourself. You got to have some me time and all these, all these little silly, you know, let's watch Instagram, you know, self-help videos. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about that kind of mess. I'm talking about knowing the Lord, knowing God who is love and understanding his acceptance and love for you. And it changes and transforms everything. I love that scripture, man. That Hebrews, um, or, yeah, the Hebrews 12. Because it's like he literally says this, that it was the, the joy that was set before him. He endured the, 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 
the terror of the cross. And we think it's like, oh, you know, it's just like, what do you mean the joy? And, he, and, and we see this when he has Passover with his, with his guys. I've longed to eat this Passover with you guys. It's like we see Jesus going to the cross with like excitement about it. And that's baffling. That is, that's crazy because I can't imagine how terrible. I mean, he ended up sweating blood. It got so heavy and bad. But Hebrews 12, too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a place of equality, by the way. You know, he is the Godhead of Daniel 7. And it's just like, for the joy that it was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. Despising is what King James, but it's wrong. It literally means thinking little of the shame. In other words, it was just like, it's nothing to me. Like the shame and the pain and the terror, like he thought little of that. Like he didn't see that as a, even a great price to pay for all of us. It's nuts. And this is the love of God manifested through the Son so that we could see him as he truly is. And it's the, it, is the, it is the werewolf killing, you know, cross, you know, key of David of Isaiah 11 or 22, 22, that, that prophesies Matthew 22 of this, this key, this thing that would unlock everything for mankind. And we would live this supernatural spiritual life of the spirit and release heaven on earth everywhere we go. Right? It's just like these, it's like these Old Testament prophecies were so obscure. Like Isaiah 22, uh, verse 22, The key of David I will lay upon his shoulder, and he shall open, and no one shall shut. He shall shut, and no one shall open. And it's this Old Testament prophecy about this king named Eliakim, which literally just means resurrection, his name. And it's this prophecy, there's a man coming named Resurrection, that he's going to have the key of David upon his shoulder, and he's going to open things that no one could open. He's going to shut things that no one can shut. And then Jesus shows up in Revelation 3, eyeballs like fire, you know what I'm saying, stars in his hand, talking to his buddy John, and he says, I'm the one, I'm him with the key of David who opens and nobody shuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm that guy. I'm the resurrection. Resurrection has come, and I have, what does he say? He says, I have the keys to death and to Hades. It's like, wait, what? To Hades and death? Like, Hades, the place of the departed souls, we think, oh, you, the eternal fire of hell? Like, no, the place of the, of the dead and, and to death itself. I have the keys to unlock people that have gone there. It's just like, huh? I can reverse anything now. It's, it's this cosmic reality that's just beyond our mind to comprehend. I can reverse everything. And I've got these keys. And I'm the one who was prophesied that would have the key of David upon his shoulder. And I've got the key of David for the joy set before me. I endured it. And then we come to understand like, oh my gosh, the key of David that was on his shoulder, we think it's going to be this golden magical key that's sewn in on this priestly garment, this messianic king. The key was, was, a, was a wooden splinter-covered torturing device called the cross. That's what he carried on his shoulder. And we're like, oh, you know, the key of David is going to be upon his shoulder. And he's like, yeah, I, I intended it to be that way. You know what I mean? I put it on me. I want it. 
You know what I mean? He, he, he goes in Luke 15 when he's telling people what the good father's like because all the Pharisees are talking trash about him. And they're talking trash about all the prodigals that he's around. And he says in Luke 15, which one of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one doesn't, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says, rejoice with me. I found, he, throws, he comes back home and throws a party. And it's like, here we see the key of David again is the lost sheep. And he put it all on his shoulder for the joy that set before him and rescued us all. And we have a mentality of this, of this, of this fire-breathing, angry God. And the reality is, there's a joyful king that was glad to do what he went through. Because he loved us that much to that extreme level. And the Pharisees are like, oh, you know, you know, I know how God sees people. And it's like, you don't know how God sees people. He leave the 99 to get even, even the one. You know, even the 1%. If only 1% is lost. He'll, throw a, he'll put it on his shoulder and he'll throw a party about getting it back. And that is the wedding feast of the Lamb of God. That is heaven that it's talking about. He's talking about heaven. And this is the heart of God, not a pagan. Desiring blood, you know what I mean? Not a pagan. Mm-mm. Sacrifice. It's like, I haven't loved these things. It's different. It's a, it's a completely different mindset. It's a, I could, go, I could do this for three hours and just lay it all out, but we don't have that much time. And I know some of y'all are hungry, I can tell. But the reality is he puts the key of David upon his shoulder and he rejoices. And I love the image of him walking that cross, even though he was almost dead. He almost bled out. <laughs> you know what I mean? He almost bled out just with all the demonic and the darkness that he was taking upon his vessel in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I really do believe when he's praying, take this cup from me. I personally believe that he was close to dying there. And he prayed that, like, I can't do this. And, and the angels came and strengthened him. That could, could be talking about the whole thing. Yeah, we, you know, we could fight about it. I don't do that. But you know what I mean? That, that's just what I think and what I believe. There's no way to know. There's a couple ways you can do that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, here he is taking it all. He's bleeding out. He's beating, beating the mess out of him. And I see him holding that cross like the lost sheep for the joy that was set before him. And it's almost like I've, I've, it's like I've got them. He has us. He's rescued us. You know what I mean? It's just like it's, it's such an incredibly beautiful thing. You know? And not just us, 1 John, but the entire world on his shoulder. And he's, and he's holding us, and he's saying, they're playing right into my hand. I know this looks bad, but they're playing, right in, they're, playing, they're playing right into my hand, and I'm rescuing you all. You know what I mean? For the joy, the key of David, this glorious, wonderful thing. It was the glorious, wonderful thing if we could see it by the Spirit. You're rescuing everyone. Happy Father's Day. The heart of our Father. Come down by stealth and rescued everybody. If we see this, we're transformed into this. It's real. That's why you can feel it. That's why they could feel his words because he wasn't a scribe. You can, feel, you can feel the words of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's just like he's, he's bringing them back. Dad's, Dad's got us. You know? And there he is. And the Pharisees weren't pleased with that story. 
And that's that's Luke 15. That's the prodigal son. It's Father's Day. That's probably what it, you know. That's what you teach on Father's Day, right? I'm not doing it. No, you know. But he does. He he teaches them that same story. Guy had two sons. The younger one said to the father, "Give me the portion of the goods that falls to me." Many days after, the young son gathered all his possessions with his prodigal living. He spent them all on a bunch of very evil things. Went and joined himself to a citizen of another country. He was out in the fields eating the food of pigs. Was starving. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have had bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. And that's beautiful in itself. When he came to himself. That's, that's Jesus telling the story. He wasn't himself. Just like you're not yourselves. Forgive them. They do not know. They don't know what they're doing to me. They love me. They're my kids. They're like, no, they're not. They hate you. He doesn't see this way. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's seeing people not as they are manifesting, but as they truly are in him before the foundations of the earth and calling that reality forth. He did it on a mass scale. You know. I'll arise and go to my father. Remember, he makes up a script. I know exactly what... He instantly becomes religious. I know what I'll do. I know the the deal I'll work to get back into my dad's house. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned. That's good. There's repentance. But just turning around to go back was real repentance. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So now I'm going to go tell him how to actually... How to do this. He arose and he comes to his father. And as he's still a far way off, his father sees him and starts running which was so improper for a wealthy noble man at the time. It says he runs and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. His son was completely unclean. Dad didn't care. And the son's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he gets to get to the next portion of his script, right, his, three, his three-step plan of how his dad can accept him at least and, I, and he can just impose the punishment on him, Make me like your hired servant, you know. I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son, so don't call me that. I'll just, you know, before he even gets to that, he just admits what he had did. And the father interrupts his script. Father, I've sinned. And it's just like, get him the robe. Get him the shoes. Get him a ring, which is the authority of heaven. It's like, get him all these things. And the father is just nothing like what these Pharisees have, have thought he was like. Amen. And he's manifesting this reality. Bring out the ring. My son was dead and he's alive and he's lost and he's found. It says his older brother was in the field, the guy that had never left. He called his servants and said, your brother, you know, he called some of the servants. They said, hey, it's because your brother came back. But it says the older brother would not go in because he was so angry about the goodness of his father. This religious mindset, like I cannot contemplate God being that kind to somebody that I don't see being deserving of it. And so because of that, I'm ticked off and I'm going to stay in my sect of the club. I can't do it. So he answered and said to the Father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, Martha, Martha. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. You never gave me a goat that I can make party with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours... Again, the inability to love your neighbor as yourself, even his own brother, because he had a misconception of God and 
this goodness of this father was becoming in a way that he did not believe that he was. And this is what he's saying. He's telling this story to the Pharisees and they, uh, they knew it and didn't like it. you know. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary me glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I just did the prodigal on Father's Day. God, I don't know, you know. I'll close with that. How about that? Um, but, but it's like this beautiful story is like, hey, you've all had God wrong. You've all thought he's something that he wasn't, you know. The prodigal, yeah, you know, with that misconception of who God is, people, they reject God. No, they reject who they think God is because they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. At least it's honest, you know. You know. But he comes back, becomes religious. God quenches that. A lot of people think this is a story of, of eternity, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and the, the, the party of the Lamb, and this is heaven, and, and, and people are refusing to come in. You know, I'm not saying that that's true, but I'm not saying that it's not true. Um, it's just like this mentality of like, hey, he had a change of mind and was living in torment and actually came to, came to his dad. You know? But I love the beauty of this story is at the end of the story, the dad's not in the party either. You know what I'm saying? Hearing the party going on and everything going on. The dad's outside talking to the older brother. So who's he going after? Everybody. He's telling the Pharisees, hey, this is where that story ends. And I'm here right now with you outside. Please come in. You know what I mean? It's not these rascal Pharisees. They're religious. You know what I mean? That's religious. That's being religious. Reverse religion is religion. It is. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 you know, and, and here he is telling them. It's just like, hey, listen, we've had him wrong. And Jesus' mission, he comes down, the solution, I'll show you who dad is. Call him Abba. It's like, what? You can't do that. Like, yeah, I can and you can too. This is who we are. It is the love of God manifested in the person of the Son, who's also God. It is the one like a son of man in Daniel 7, riding on the clouds, who he told Caiaphas, you'll see the Son of Man riding on the clouds. Blasphemy! It was the twin Godhead figure of Daniel 7, this one like a son of man and the Ancient of Days coming together. And this is the revelation coming together of of Jesus and His Father Amen. being of one essence. I and my Father are one. You know, it's, We're not one as Pentecostals. I'm not saying that. It's just like there's, there's no disagreement in Father and Son and Spirit. There's not one holding back the other one. There's not good cop, bad cop. You know what I'm saying? It is the love of God. It is altogether lovely and light. It is John 3. Amen. You know? The Father didn't send me into the world to judge the world. And then John 5, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. <laughs> just like, wait, you just contradicted yourself. Or you just let yourself off the hook of being the judge, and you let your Father off the hook of being the judge. And you're saying, hey, I, my judgment is let there be light. Amen. That is the judgment of God. Amen. John 3. And those who love darkness, they love their darkness, so they don't come to light. And this is the condemnation. Can the gospel be that scandalous and that good? It, 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 it is, man. 
It's actually good news. It's not universalism. Everybody's just going to go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? But what it is, is like God loves the entire world, not just the elect. You know? And, and free choice is there just as it was in the garden. And will some people choose dark? Will some people choose not to accept? It seems like that to me. It does seem like that from the Bible. But the grace and mercy of God, the slow to anger, the abounding in love of who God truly is, the extent that He went to purchase us back, His family. What love, this great love the Father has lavished on us. Right? Didn't Peter say this? You know what I mean? It's just like, or maybe it was John actually, but it's just like this great love that we should be called the children of God. And, and we are children of God. This is the reality that we're called to carry. The goodness of God. And it is the reversal of all things. The Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And if we're children of God, what does that mean for us? Same. We're here to wreck shop. The gates of hell won't prevail. He had war, he had war in his intentions for us. Since, since the book of Genesis. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Yeah. The gates of hell. This is darkness. We are called to be the light bringers. It's not our light. We are the sons and daughters of light. The father of lights. We are his imagers and his carriers. Isn't that cool? And authority. Authority looks like knowing him. It's not how many uh, shundais you've said that day or how many times you fasted, you know, all those things. It's none of those things take place of actually knowing him and seeing him as he truly is and walking this transformation out. It's practical. Everything that violates love, we take every single thought captive and we submit it to the reality of who Jesus is because that, he is, he is, we are in his image. And this is, this is us. So Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you that your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. And Lord, Lord, you've manifested, your word has manifested the heart of our true family, our lineage. And I thank you, Lord, that we can step into the family business. Because you desire it even more than we've desired it. And you've taken care of everything. Let us be the, um, the ambassadors of the mystery of this gospel. Of the reality and the power of the age to come. Lord, I ask that we, we would manifest this truth. That the utterance would be given to us to open our mouths boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, just like our big brother Paul prayed. I pray that for every one of us, that we would be able to articulate the goodness of this eternal gospel that we are living and and, and manifesting. Amen.